Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you're having an amazing day today. So far, today we have an awesome guest. She is an attorney and asset protection coach who teaches entrepreneurs how to merge their business plan with their estate plan to create a moat around their assets. For over a decade, she has taught, led, and counseled entrepreneurs at every phase of their business. She has the keen ability to deliver uncommonly original and useful tools in a dynamic and engaging way. And she brings to your audience experience in asset protection, estate planning, and business plans. So let's welcome Sherry Prince. How are you doing tonight, Sherry? I am doing better now that I'm here with you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on. Uh, Sherry, I'd like to get it started by asking you to uh, please share your story. How did you wind up becoming an entrepreneur? Well, it was a very winding road. Um, through a series of hard knocks <clears throat> growing up um, on a 150-plus acre farm, and eventually I had a couple of failed businesses, and I decided that I wanted to learn the law better for myself. <clears throat> Excuse me. Got it. And um, so basically you tried a couple of failed businesses. It didn't work out. And then I guess you, you wanted to learn law. So I guess you went into law school from there. So when I say failed businesses, my first business was at 21. And, you know, I started that business with a partner on just a handshake. And it ended terribly. Fast, Yes, fast forward. We didn't have an agreement or anything. Um, for a while, I was doing well. I had two mortgage companies and well, mortgage brokerages. And um, here's 08. We had the big mortgage debacle. The real estate industry failed for a while. And for a year, I could not find employment, did not make any income, and pretty much had to reboot. Being an attorney was something that I looked at when I was younger. Um, I don't want to age myself, but I used to watch Perry Mason and Matlock all the time. And I loved watching those. I'd walk around with a notebook in my hand. Um, and it was, it was a dream, but it was a dream deferred. It wasn't until those businesses and there were, you know, was an instance with my family where we had a major split after my grandparents passed away. I decided that I really wanted to help other people like me who may be having some of the same legal issues. And so at the ripe age of 30 with two minor children, um, I went to law school. Got it. All right. So, yes, yeah, so you had a couple different business. Number one, unfortunately, it was just a handshake agreement and and you learned the hard way, the dangers of having that. And then later you had a couple of mortgage companies. And then unfortunately, the 2008 mar uh, market crash came and it really hit real estate hard. You had trouble getting money, making money, getting a job. And and by the way, like you, I'm a, I also like uh, Perry Mason growing up. It's a fun show. And uh I still enjoy watching and I also like Matlock too. So both good shows. So we both have great taste, I must say. <laughs> and uh, so at age 30, you decided to go, you know, with two small children, decided to go back into law school. So how was it, you know, like you said, doing it at age 30, having a couple of kids, it, it's got a, you must've had a really busy schedule trying to do all that. In a word, I would call it insane. Um, my youngest was six months old and uh, my oldest was three years old. So I was juggling a lot of balls, but I really did not know what else to do. And so imagine being 30 years old. And at this time I'd had, you know, I had other business in between, in between then. Um, I had rental property, all sorts of things that I lost with the crisis. 
And now I'm in law school. I have these two children. I'm a single mom and I'm making $5.25 an hour. This is before they raised minimum wage. Um, working at my daughter's daycare just to make ends meet while I'm in law school. But I think I needed the reset because I am so appreciative for where I am today and being able to help other people to just really have the foresight to put things in place in their businesses and their personal life so that they don't suffer that same fate. Okay, that's good. So I, I guess, you know, being so busy, having so much to do and, you know, you were making minimum wage, so it's not 525 working your daughter's uh, daycare. But I guess it's that you had a really big why. says, I got to make it work for me and for my kids. I want to give my kids a better life. And of course, you had also uh, had that dream of helping other people so they don't go through the same things you went through, the problems, losing the money, losing the businesses. So I guess that's that, that's that's how you're able to keep your focus. You kept your eyes on the prize, and that's why you didn't give up. Am I right? Oh, definitely. And the one thing about it, Victor, is that I did not see it coming. I had friends who, you know, we talked about in the, in the aftermath and they were able to see the industry slowing down and see the trouble signs. I did not see it coming. Um, all of the formalities that I talk about and that I teach about, I didn't see. So now I'm able to help people put together frameworks and contingency plans so that they in their businesses are more protected. Mm -hmm. Got it. So so after you finished law school, I guess, did you go out on your own or did you work for a law firm first? And then like later on, you, did you start your own business, you know, helping people out, you know, with these problems, trying to avoid these issues, these these uh, mortgage debacles, you know, these, you know, getting to banks and stuff like that. Is, is that the path you chose or was it a different path? So really, I was really blessed because during law school, I was able to clerk for a couple of judges um, and I had several different you know, opportunities to intern. And so I was able to see what I liked in terms of the law and what I did not like. So after clerking for a judge immediately after after law school, I had a, a huge contract, well, I say huge, a long-term contract with a um, government entity. And I was able to do that for, ooh, 10 plus years while I built my practice. So yeah, about a year after graduation from law school, I was able to open my practice and I've just been rocking and rolling since then. Okay. No, that's really good. No, and that must've been so reassuring, you know, having that contract with the government entity for like 10 years while you're building up your business. And, uh, you know, cause, uh, it's not, it's not easy to get out there. So you're trying to build your own practice. So that must've been really awesome. So, so as you're building all that, so when did you start, uh, as you're building, when did you start teaching other people, teaching entrepreneurs and, you know, how, how all the business work, what to do, what to avoid, to avoid getting into these problems? Have you been doing that the last several years or yeah. longer? Well, and it's interesting because I am a Mississippi licensed attorney, so I can practice anywhere within the state. And the thing that, you know, is great about an attorney is that, yes, you do have these skills and resources, but you have limitations based on where you're licensed. As an asset protection coach, I don't have those same limits in terms of where I can help people and how I can help people. So I really did not start using the skills from my practice in a coaching capacity until after COVID. So it would have been after 2020 is when I started working with people outside of the state, but I've been working with entrepreneurs in Mississippi for years through my practice. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good. So being an asset protection coach, you can pretty much do it anywhere in the U.S. Whereas 
before you were just you're a licensed attorney only in Mississippi, so you can only practice in that state. You can't do it in California, obviously, or New York, for example. So, um, you know, because obviously you talk about some of the things, um, you, how you want to help people. You, you mind sharing an example, too, of like how you've been able to help some of your clients so that people are aware of like, you know, some of the things you're able to you know, help people out with? Well, and I'll tell you primarily the people that, you know, I've helped the most are people that have businesses that may not have standard operating procedures, KPIs, um, you know, key performance indicators, and businesses that traditionally have not met like the $5 million market annual revenue. Those businesses have a lot of things in common. And so an example of how I was able to help one business, there's a family that I was working with, and they had three operating companies that were inside of one LLC. And none of these businesses were related. They were all different types of businesses. Well, there was a judgment against one of the businesses. So what does that do? It's in the name of the limited liability company. So there's really a judgment on all three. Um, and so what I try to do, and a lot of this, you'd be amazed, is mindset. When you're setting up your company, when you're running the company, um, you know, the decisions you make in terms of asset protection, I show you how to implement those. So we were able to, you know, divide those entities up and put them into new structures and really build a moat around those. And the difference with my practice versus coaching is that I'm not giving legal advice with my coaching. I'm actually like the quarterback on your asset protection team. Got it. No, so that's one thing you help people out with. Um, and I'm sure because you do, it seems like you do a lot of smaller businesses and you say, you know, they don't know like their KPIs or other standard operating procedures. So uh, and I'm guessing they're there and, and probably because probably a lot of these businesses knew they probably don't have a lot of experience. What else? What would you say are some of the biggest mistakes like entrepreneurs make when they get started? And um, and and you mentioned one right now, like, you know, what's some of the other mistakes they do when it comes to asset protection that, that gets them into trouble and how could they avoid it? One of the main ones, and people don't think about this in terms of asset protection, but they're undercapitalized. If you do not have the capital to meet deductibles, if you have claims, to make payroll, to handle other liabilities, you put your assets at risk. So undercapitalization is huge. Um, that's a big one. Another one is commingling their personal assets with their company assets. Because what happens then, it doesn't matter if you have all the best structures, all the best, best tax advice. If you co-mingle your assets, then your creditors can still reach in and make claims against you personally. And, you know, one of the last things, the third thing that is a huge thing that people do not consider um, is an annual evaluation of your asset protection plan. I tell folks, look, treat it like a wellness visit. You know, you go and hopefully you're going to the doctor at least once a year, check your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your weight, and just make sure you're healthy. Um, treat your business like that as well. Check in at least once a year with your asset protection team. All right, that makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned that yeah, under capitalization, you can put your assets at risk and as well as commingling at, uh, personalized with the company assets and um yeah, I I wasn't even aware of that. You know, so basically, you're saying that even if you have like say uh, a limited liability corporation, but if you're still commingling the assets, creditors could still go after it. Even even though you have the proper business, but if you're commingling, you could still be as risk. So you got to no matter how good the structure is, whatever you have an S corp or LLC, you got to make sure you keep the assets separate. Is, is that what you're saying? 
Exactly. And I have an exercise that I do with people. And this really helps. Um, we try to do this when we first start working together. But no matter what stage of your business you're in, you can do this. And it's the three eyes. One, you want to identify all of your assets. You'd be amazed at how much stuff you own. You know, and sometimes you're buying stuff, you have managers that are buying stuff, you have just different people that are purchasing stuff on behalf of the business. So you have to identify what assets you actually own. And then if you inventory those, so a literal inventory, a list, and depending on how big the company is, there should be a tracking system for when those inventory, when those assets go in and out of your company. And the third eye is you want to improve the classification of those items. And so when I say improve, think about a vehicle that you may have purchased in your personal name because you have stellar personal credit and you don't have business credit. Well, you use this, this vehicle in your business every day and it has your business logo on it. Say for instance, you're in a car accident. The person that you hit is thinking that they have coverage from your business because those are the decals on the side of the, of the vehicle when in actuality, it is your personal vehicle and your personal name. So now they're reaching into your personal pockets and affecting your personal insurance premiums. So we just kind of, you know, show people how to do that as well. Mm, that's an interesting uh, breakdown. You know, you know, you have your company branding, but it's really a personal vehicle. So again, I'm sure most people are not aware of that. So that's definitely good. And inventory, the items you have, have a tracking system, what goes in, what goes out, makes a lot of sense. And identify all your assets because uh, there could be a lot of different people doing the buying for your company. You're gonna make sure you know you know all your assets. Probably a lot of them do not know that. So that's definitely some good stuff there. And um, so, so the next thing I want to ask you is now, how would you approach the uh, the balance you know, for your for like your client entrepreneurs between the legal protections that they need and the business growth? Okay, I love that question. Um, and I'll tell you. It takes a team, just like it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a team to grow your business. You have people that are, you know, I'm going to use the name Joe. Joe may be great at making widgets. You can't beat Joe making widgets. <clears throat> he can do, you know, two times as many widgets as the next person. But Joe may not be a good business person. But if he's in business, then Joe probably already has an insurance agent that he's paying insurance for something. Maybe it's his house, his car. It may be life insurance. Joe should have somebody that prepares his taxes already, whether he has a business or not. Um, and Joe should, if he has a business, have an attorney that he has a relationship with. Well, I believe that each entrepreneur should have a team of professionals that they regularly engage with that that's their asset protection team. What a lot of entrepreneurs do not do is they don't they don't merge the team. They have these people working for them in silos so that, you know, the accountant's working over here by himself, the attorney's working by herself, and nobody's talking to each other. So I show people how to put their team together, have regular meetings. And when I say regular, I mean at least once a year. I would prefer once a quarter, but at least once a year. And <clears throat> I'm so sorry. Look, I'm, I'm a little horse tonight. But um, so, yeah, I quarterback the team and I give them a directive on how to help the entrepreneur work better within this business. And it generally does not cost a lot more because this is what, you know, you're already paying for these services or getting these services in some form or fashion. 
I don't know that makes a lot of sense. You know, they should have their own, you know, asset protection team, you know, like the insurance agents, the, the tax preparers, attorneys, and others. But also make sure that they're not just working separately. Have them get together, like I said, at least once a year or preferably once a quarter. I just make sure they're on the same page because, they, you know, when they're working together, they're going to work better for you. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Definitely some really good advice. And um, now, you know, continuing that vein, so, you know, obviously there are, there are some of these entrepreneurs that are getting started. They don't realize the importance of asset protection in their business planning. So, you know, how would you, you know, what, what advice would you give them to make them realize the importance of having that for obviously, obviously the asset protection team? But I think sometimes, if you said a lot of these smaller businesses, they're not aware of the importance of it. So what advice would you give to those people? I would tell them to play big faster, um, really, because, you know, one way to get ahead is to, you can pay to get ahead or you can, you know, when I say pay, you can pay with money or you can pay with the mistakes. Early on in my career, I did not know. I made a lot of mistakes. And now what I do, I have a lot of coaches. You know, I am not an expert at everything. I have this thing that I do. I do it very well. But I have other things that I have people to coach me on. Um, and it really gives me quantum leaps. It makes me play faster in every, in every area of my life. So when I'm dealing with entrepreneurs who really, I wouldn't even say that they are adverse to the concept. They just may not be as knowledgeable and it may be new. So one of the things that I discuss is the cost of inaction. What is it costing you not to do anything? And so a lot of people think that cost is zero, that, you know, if I don't do anything, it's status quo. But that's not true. Your business may be operating today at $100,000 in gross revenue. But if you properly protect your business and you're able to scale, then your, your business could be operating at a million dollars of gross revenue. So the cost of inaction is $900,000. And when you start putting numbers together for people, they're like, wow, so if I just change my business structure and if I just update my insurance and if I put these policies in place, so if, if an employee sues me, I can make, you know, the difference is $900,000, it could be. Yeah, no, a lot, and you're right. A lot of people don't uh, are not aware of that. You know, I like what you said, play big, fast, play with money, or later on, you're going to pay with your mistakes and, and you... you and you would teach them the cost of an action. Like you said, a lot of people says it's not going to cost anything, but like you're saying, um, you could be making, if you take action, extra action, you could be making a lot more money. And because you're not taking the extra action, that's the money it's costing you. And I'm going to give you an example of consistency, like how people lose. People, people are not aware of this. Now, you, you, many people have heard of a penny double, you know, you, you know, after one day, it's two cents, four cents, eight cents. And after 30 days, that penny double would be $5 million. But if you only double it every other day, you only take action half the time. After 30 days, it's only going to be worth $163.84 because you're not taking action half the time. So another example, uh, people now realize that they, they, a lack of action, lack of consistency costs you a lot of money. So definitely some a really good point there. And uh, and you mentioned having a coach for the things you're not good at to make you better at coaching mentors. That is so huge. It, it saves you so much time, so much trouble. Yeah, it costs you, like you say, pay that money up front, but it's going to save you so much time and frustration. And it'll get you that extra business. They'll get you that extra, extra success a lot faster. Instead of trying to figure it all out on your own, that could take you an extra five, 10 years. Instead, I can get it to you in a few months or a year. So 
why not put make that investment and uh, learn those things that you need to get better? It's going to help you so much. So definitely some good stuff there. Now, what are you know? What are some of you mentioned a couple of things? You know, like the key performance indicators. What are some of the key indicators that a business would need to know to reevaluate the current asset protection strategy? Because um, it seems to me, especially like some of the newer businesses, the small ones, at the beginning, a lot of them are not aware of their numbers. So, what are some of the things they should you know? The numbers they should know. Okay, so you have a couple of different, and this is going to be really important. And I, before I answer that question, I need to point something out. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that the person preparing their taxes can help them plan for the future. Um, have you talked to people and they're surprised that they have they have a $20,000 tax bill? It's probably because they have a tax preparer and not a tax planner. And so one thing is, you need to make sure that on your team, you have somebody who's a tax planner and a tax preparer. They can be the same person, but they don't have to be. A lot of times we just have someone who's looking in the rear view and giving us a report who's a tax preparer versus someone who's more of a consultant and helping us look forward. So I had to start there because when I say know your numbers, there are several numbers you need to know depending on the type of business that you have. But you know your cash flow numbers, balance sheet, and then depending on your business, whether you are brick and mortar, e-com, and your expenses and such, you have to know like the cost of the acquisition of a client. What does it cost you to get a client? You know, somebody may walk inside your business. What did it cost you for that person to walk inside your business? And if zero people walk inside your business, what are your cost of operations? And so in the simplest forms, those are some of the things that we look at. Um, and then just in terms of operating procedures, also depending upon your business, we try to standardize the way that you do everything, because what does that do? Um, it hopefully cuts down, um, on employee turnover, because no matter who you are hiring for your business, if there's already, aside from a job description, if there's already a procedure for them to come in and do the same thing over and over, what does that do? It builds muscle memory. It builds consistency within your business. It also builds predictability. And that's another way that you grow and scale is through consistency and predictability. And it cuts down on the amount of time it takes to do things. Onboarding, you know, it may be that someone had to come sit at a desk with you when you started and you had to watch them for three months sitting at their desk. But now you have policies, procedures, and all these other things in place, and you could become more profitable sooner. No, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you can stuff like, you know, having the predictability, the policies, procedures, and, and just kn- knowing that's going to help a lot. And uh, so definitely some really good stuff there. Uh, now, Sarah, as we're coming toward the end of our interview, are there any last minute pieces of advice you'd like to share with our audience about asset protection or anything else? Yes. Um, just make a plan. It's not, you know, don't think about it as an expense. Think about it as an investment. And even if you think that I'm too deep in debt, um, I don't have enough assets, you need to have some sort of plan for your business and for you personally. And that could be something as small as you writing something down, memorializing in writing and getting it notarized until you're able to put together a team to do something that's a little fancier because the cost of inaction is a real thing. I like to make the plan and you're right just get started and and I totally agree the cost of inaction is a lot and uh, a lot of times you just don't know it so just get started just do it and like see if you're not in a good financial situation just get started make that plan some really like that 
So, Sherry, listen, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure. You shared a lot of great tips, a lot of golden nuggets, and I know the people listening definitely learned a lot. And if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to contact you? The best way is LinkedIn. Um, I'm at Sheree Speaks on LinkedIn. And once a month, I do a free webinar where I just basically lay out how to get a plan. And that's the webinar is totally free. You're going to walk away and you will have a base plan for you to implement. Awesome. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Have yourself a good night. You as well. Thank you, Victor. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.